This is the Psalms to God podcast. In this episode, we're talking about literary devices and anthologies. You can find the show notes for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, New King James Version. Scott podcast. I'm your host, Ree, and today I'm introducing a new topic for us to talk about here on the podcast, and I hope that you will be as excited about it as I am. Now, this entire idea, this entire journey for me started once upon a time when I was talking to someone and they made a comment that didn't make sense to me. And the reason it didn't make sense to me is because it was missing uh, context, maybe? I'm not sure how to describe it, but essentially we were talking about something from the Bible and the person made a comment that took what was being discussed out of the context of the Bible. So imagine that you're having a conversation with someone about, say, Lord of the Rings, right? And you're telling the person how much you like Lord of the Rings. And the person is like, Lord of the Rings is a horrible trilogy. Like, wizards don't exist. And you're like, um, but it's a fantasy novel, right? Like, um, and then they proceed to critique the entire book based on the idea that wizards don't exist. So they're like, well, Gandalf couldn't have done this because wizards don't exist. And you're like, but in the context of the novel, wizards exist, and that's part of his abilities, right? And I realize it's weird as a Christian uh, channel to be talking about wizards because that's something that is forbidden in the Bible. That's a whole other topic. Please do not be offended by that context. I brought it up because Lord of the Rings is an excellent example of world building from a story point of view for an author to generate an entire world and to come up with consistent languages and cultures and um things it, it's it was the i think one of the first of its kind and it really shaped modern uh fantasy the same way uh, i think dune's uh kind of spearheaded the modern sci-fi type of a, a feel and it's also something that most people are familiar with, um, whether you are Christian or not Christian. Most people know, even if they don't watch Lord of the Rings, who Gandalf is. And this is why I chose this as an example. But the thing is, when you talk about things like this in society, if you go watch like a Marvel movie or something, people don't critique 
the movie based on their opinion of the reality of what is happening in the movie. It's what they're seeing, right? They put it into the context of the movie. So if all of a sudden you have like a DC crossover and Superman is standing beside, you know, uh, Tony Stark, you're just like, wait, what? They're not in the same universe. That doesn't make sense, right? Then you would be like, that doesn't make sense. Why did they do that in the movie? Um, and so in this conversation with this person, we were talking about the Bible and the thing that they were critiquing was something that I was like, but it makes sense in the context of the Bible. Whether you believe that it happened or not, it makes sense in the context. And in full transparency, one of the arguments I hear the most with people who um, try to find fault with the word of God is the fact that you find similar stories around the world. And it's very interesting to me because from a believer standpoint, to me, this confirms the fact that you had Adam and Eve. They had many kids, not just sons. They had many kids. Go back and read Genesis 4. Um, but their kids had kids. And, you know, you had the lineage of Seth, which produced Noah. Noah was saved during the flood. Everyone else was killed. And then Noah had three sons. And these three sons and their wives went out to populate the rest of the world. So basically, um, everybody stems from these three sons. And at some point, they were all still together. This is how we got the Tower of Babel. And then mankind was kind of dispersed. So it makes sense to me that you would get similar backstories in every culture. And each person, I mean, if you look in your own family, you can be raised in the same house and come away with slightly different perceptions of things or slightly different um, ideas or even I have friends who their parents were Christian and they are not or people even within myself my parents and I like I keep the Sabbath my parents do not right like there are still certain things that you will take away or things that might be slightly different than what you've been taught and your own kind of spin will, will start to creep in so it makes sense to me that if you go to these different cultures, you will see different permutations of kind of the same underlying story. Because if you trace back at one point, they were the same culture. That makes sense to me, right? But the but a lot of times I'll see people arguing the opposite, that these people copied from those people who copied from these people. And I'm like, but you can't actually use that as an argument against the Bible, because in the context of the Bible, it makes sense in the storyline. And as I was having that conversation, I started to realize that at some point in my study of the Bible, I had started to read the Bible the same way I had been taught to read things in school. And if you remember, I'm pretty sure most of you guys have taken um, English classes back in high school. Some of you took English in, in college. I opted not to do that because it was not my favorite subject, um, which also makes it all the more interesting that God has put this particular topic on my heart for the podcast. Um, but we would read things like Shakespeare or The Crucible, uh, The Scarlet Letter. And, you know, I remember like my English teacher would be like, there's a reason that the roses were red. And I'd be like, Roses are always red though. Like it's very rare you read something and they're like, the rose was 
was yellow. I mean, there are yellow roses, but nobody ever pays attention to the yellow roses. It's Roses are just known to be red. Roses are red, violets are blue, right? <laughs> um, but my teacher would really push like the symbolism and like the, 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 like in just noticing certain aspects within the text. And you spend a lot of time talking about things like metaphors, hyperbole, illusion, um, allegory, just like all of these different types of literary devices that are used within a text to add different meanings and to layer meanings into what you're reading on the surface. And I realized that you really should be applying all of that to this. Um, and I realized at some point I started doing it naturally. I think it came with the analytical side of uh, grad school. You start to analyze everything. And it really um, helped me in studying the word as a believer. But I also think it would also help people who are not believers, who are trying to understand what it is that people believe or trying to make their own assumptions. If you're interested in reading the Bible, I don't think these tips and these ideas are just for believers. But definitely as a believer, I think it will help you to understand more and to elevate your interaction with the word because I'm just always mystified. There's so many layers in each passage that can be like gleaned from and, and depending on what state you're in, it, it speaks to you differently. And I, I just think that's a wonderful thing to experience. Now, of course, <laughs> um, when you think about the Bible, um, it is a literary masterpiece. I think people neglect that. Like most people just think of it as a religious text, which it is a religious text, but it's also a literary masterpiece. And I think that this series will help bridge that to help you see it as literature as well, um, which may also make it more fun to read. I know some of us struggle to read, especially certain passages, certain books in the Bible are a little more interesting than others. Um, and, but also, um, as a reminder, the Bible is an anthology. Okay, guys, this is editor me popping in for a second. I realized as I was editing this video that I just went ahead into a literary device and went through an entire example of, um, that in the Bible, but I didn't define the literary device. And I don't want to come back and make an episode on this literary device when I have clearly described an example of it in the Bible already. So really quick, I'm talking about anthology for those who have forgotten what an anthology is. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, an anthology is a collection of selected literary pieces or passages or works of art or music. Essentially, it is an assortment of things. Um, you have like most of the time you see like poetry anthologies and things like that in our culture today. And so, yes, we're going to talk about anthology in this introduction episode as well. We talk about the Bible as though it's just one book. I mean, we call it the Bible or the book, right? Um, but it is made up of many books, right? And from a Christian perspective, the entire thing is authored by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired people to write it. And then it was physically penned by different humans. 
And so it has the same author, but it has many authors. And of course, it is over many, many centuries and, and many, many years um, in between. And so you have things like context and time period and all of that to factor in. And as we go through the series, you'll see how that affects certain things, um, particularly things like illusion, right? I can make illusion, like at the beginning, I started talking about Lord of the Rings and Marvel. That wouldn't have made sense to anybody in the 1800s because these things didn't exist. Um, the same way illusions made in the 1800 would go over my head because I don't know what you're talking about. So there are probably illusions in the Bible that we don't get because we've lost the context. Um, but we're going to talk about that in another episode. Um, but in general, there are different books of the Bible. That is the main point that I wanted to make. And before we jump into the series, I did want to lay some foundation about these different books of the Bible. And hopefully in laying that foundation, it will start to whet your appetite about how literary, treating the Bible as a piece of literature and looking at these literary devices will also help you understand what is being conveyed in the Bible. So when you were little, if you grew up in the church, they probably tried to make you memorize the books of the Bible. And they may have even given you this nifty little chart that talks about the, um, the types of books in the Bible. And you may have memorized that too, or you may have just been like, eh, I don't really care about that. Um, this was actually one of the introductions to my understanding that I could study the Bible for myself. And I actually took it, I guess, to heart and became very interested in it. As I got older, I found out that um, the Israelites or Jews actually have a totally different classification. And that's why I bought um, this Bible. This is the complete Jewish study Bible. I also have other translations. Um, but this, interestingly, uh, in, in a different order. Um, so if you ever see me with this in person and you see me struggling to find a, a book, that's why. Because it's not in the same order as the Christian Bible. Um, and so I want to go over both of our perspectives of, of how the, the books of the Bible are divided because it's different, but it, in both cases, it serves a purpose. So the first five books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these are considered the books of law or the Torah. Uh, Torah means law in Hebrew. So if you're talking to somebody who is Jewish or who has a Messianic Jewish background, you would hear the word Torah. If you're talking to a Christian, you'd probably hear something like Pentateuch or just the first five books or the books of Moses. If you're reading the Bible, you would see the books of Moses. Um, they're talking about the law. These are the earliest writings in the Bible. Personally, I think Genesis... I feel like Genesis should be classified as something slightly different because Genesis is more history than law, but it was also written by Moses. So it's considered part of the law. Um, and so these are books. I mean, it's like a law book, right? It's about how the society is supposed to be structured and um, things like that. And so when you're reading it, there is a context of something happened and now I'm telling you how to solve it. So for instance, um, there are laws about what to do if your cow kills somebody else's cow, right? And in the context of the Bible, right, what has happened is someone has come up to Moses and said, hey, their cow killed my cow and I'm upset. And the other person is like, well, my cow killed their cow and I, 
I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Right. And they're like, how do we handle this situation? What is the correct way to proceed forward? And so they're pinning this law and saying, okay, your cow killed that person's cow. So you owe him money or you owe him a new cow or whatever. Um, and of course, in the opposite, in another context, if the cow kills a person, you have to kill the cow because the person is more valuable than the cow. And so like, these are things that came from situations actually happening. And in our society today, you're reading this and you're like, why do they spend so much time talking about if your cow kills another cow? Because we don't live in an agricultural society. The, now we're like, okay, so this person posted a picture of me on social media that I did not approve of. How do we follow this, right? Like the way laws are written are very, very much in the context of the society that they're governing. And you have to keep that in mind when you're reading the books of law. And then you should think of it in terms of how does that apply now? So the underlying concept in this concept of the cow killing the cow is how do you make right when something has wronged your neighbor? Even if it's something that's out of your control, how do you make this right? How do you be a good neighbor to your neighbor? And one of the things that you see is that throughout the, the law, it talks about paying the person for the trouble and then paying a little extra for the added trouble, which in today's society, we would call that like emotional duress. So for instance, if I hit your car, right? My car hits your car. It was an accident, but I have now damaged your car. As a Christian, it is my responsibility to fix your car, but I should also give you a little something extra for your troubles, which in our society would probably be paying for your rental car while you can't drive your car. Do you see how that goes? How, how you make the jump, right? It's about putting it into context to understand what these types of books are for, what their purpose was, and then applying that to today. Then, so that's, that's the first five books. You also have what in Christian society we would call the books of history. This would be Joshua, Judges, um, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, those types of books where they're basically going over the history of Israel. And I, if you go to a normal church, you probably don't read those often. They don't, they, I mean, I think they're kind of interesting, but I like history. Um, but most people don't preach out of them because they look at them as being just for Israel because it covers the history. But there is a lot to be learned in those books as well. Now, if you go into the Jewish literature or the way the Jews separate the Bible, they call it the Nevium, which is actually the prophets. So a lot of these history books are also tied together with the prophets, um, which I think is interesting, but that's how they, they do it. Um, and then of course, we have a separate section in Christianity for the prophets. We divide the major prophets and the minor prophets. And interestingly, the major prophets, it's not really about the scale of their prophecy. Now, if you look at somebody like Daniel, it seems like it's about the scale of their prophecy and about how great the prophecy is. But really, it's just about how long the book is. Okay, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, them some long books compared to like Obadiah, which is really short. It's, it's really not so much about, I guess, the scope of the project, the, the, the prophecy, so much as how much the person wrote. But altogether, they're all making prophecies about what is going to happen at some point in the future. 
And of course, contextually, these people are writing at different times. But within the prophecy books, um, you will start to see a lot of literary devices like symbolism. Uh, in the book of Daniel, there's a lot of symbolism and it's actually defined within the book of Daniel. And then those appear again in Revelation, which is the book of prophecy for the New Testament. And so, again, this is where things like literary devices come in, noticing these patterns, noticing the illusion, noticing the allegory, the symbolism, the metaphors that are being put before you in the text to understand what is being prophesied. Um, and that also streams back into Genesis when you notice that, for instance, Joseph is interpreting visions and dreams, and it's usually not, you know, the star is not the star, if that makes any sense. So then as you move um, through the Old Testament, you also have the writings or the ketavim in Hebrew. Um, and these books would be things like Psalms, Proverbs. This is more poetic. This is where most people would uh, look for literary devices because it's more like what we're familiar with when we talk about literature. And of course, this is where you start to see a lot of metaphors and stuff in things like Song of Solomon, right? Um, and these books can be fun too. Uh, I think most people, when they do take from the Old Testament, they take from these because they understand that there are literary devices here. Um, so again, that's part of my goal in showing you the literary devices all over the text and not just in the, the, the writings. Um, but that's another part of the Old Testament. Now, when we move into the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're giving different um, angles or different perspectives on the life of Christ. Um, and then you have the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, the early church, and how it came to be. And then you move into the letters. And the letters are very interesting because there's so much context that has to be worked into them, right? You're getting half a message, right? Imagine if I know you personally and I write you a letter and you write me a letter and I write you a letter and then 2,000 years from now, somebody finds one of the letters that I have written to you and that's what they're reading. And they don't know our, like, they know who it's addressed to. Like maybe they know that I wrote the letter to you but they don't necessarily know what you said to me. They don't know what was going on in your situation and why I wrote certain things. There could be inside jokes or inside um, context that I'm talking to you about. I could refer to a person, right, that, you, that we have been talking about and you don't know, like, I didn't refer to them by name or something, but you know who I'm talking about because we've been talking about this. And the person reading it has no idea. That is how you should approach the letters in the New Testament, remembering to put them into context and to understand um, that you need to understand something about the culture, about who it's written to and why and things like that. And then, of course, I mentioned Revelation is prophecy. Like I said, it has a lot of symbolism. And so as you go through you know, a passage or a book, remembering that, number one, it is part of one of these types and there is a primary purpose that it was written. But number two, there's a secondary purpose in that it's meant for you and I, and there's something we're supposed to glean from it. That's why it's still in the text. 
And then of course three, it interacts with the entire book as a whole. So things in Revelation actually are built on in Daniel, right? Daniel and Revelation, uh, I've seen a statistic, I don't remember the exact number, but there's like something like maybe like 200 symbols that are mentioned in both and they're the same symbols. So in order to understand Revelation, you really need to understand Daniel. Um, and so things like this start to appear in the Bible. And one of the things that made the Old Testament fun for me is that after reading the New Testament, when you come back and you start to see how things that are being told in the Old Testament are either foreshadowing or, you know, or prophesying what's going to happen in the New Testament. And then seeing how in the New Testament, this literal fulfillment of the Old Testament or, you know, seeing how these symbols and things connect. Um, and that's a really cool way to study the Bible, in my personal opinion. So over the next couple of episodes, I want to dig into these different techniques and these different literary devices and talk about how each of them can be found in the Bible. So um, in the next few episodes, what we will do is first, we will define the literary term because if you are like me, you didn't really pay that much attention in English. And two, it's been a long time since you took English and you've forgotten. You maybe you heard the word before, but you don't remember exactly what that is. So we're gonna talk about the name of the device and what it actually means. Um, and then maybe if I can, I will share with you an example from our modern society, modern culture, um, that will trigger your memory and be like, yeah, 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 I remember that. And then we will look in the word and see if we can find an example there. So I hope you will join me as we go through this type of a study, and I hope that you will enjoy it. Um, in the meantime, if you have any comments, feedback, suggestions, questions, etc., Feel free to leave me a message on any of the platforms that the podcast is streaming, or you can leave me a message at the blog, www.psalmstogod.com, and I will try to respond to you as soon as possible. Thanks again, and I will see you guys soon. Bye!